Well, certainly the uh, Christmas season is always fun, and a lot of things are obvious that we enjoy, be it the, the gifts and the, some of the special services we have at church and so forth. But one of the things that's also neat about this time is that family members that are often a long distance away are able to come and visit, and that's always neat. And something I really enjoy about this service and the candlelight service is um, a lot of times be they college students or just people that grew up in our church, um, they're here, you know, either on that Sunday morning or Sunday night. And so I see some of you guys out there, and I'm really glad you're here, and it's neat to see you again. I wish we could walk around and just high-five and hug and all that, but, but i got some stuff i got to do here in just a few minutes. So we can't really do that right now, but it's still neat to see you guys, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And um, I want to take a minute and just introduce one special couple that's here, all the way from the West Coast, and that's Stephen and Kimmy Anglis. So, Stephen, raise your hand. Stephen, of course, grew up here at Centerpoint and uh, went off to the West Coast and did a couple things. Um, most importantly, he found a wife. Praise the Lord for that, right? And secondly, um, he continued his education in the Bible and has been prepared for ministry. And you may not be aware of this, but actually this June, Stephen has accepted a role, a call really, to pastor a church in Idaho. And that will be happening in June after this school year wraps up. So, Stephen, we will be praying for you. We're, uh, we're proud of how the Lord has worked in your life. And I would ask you, you know, preach, pray, or die, if you're willing to stand up right now and just lead us in prayer as we go into God's Word. So why don't you lead us in prayer right now, Stephen? Amen. Thank you, Stephen. It is always a fun time, especially when you've got little kids. Our kids don't get quite as excited as they used to, although some of them still really do. All six foot two of them, you know. So I remember when uh, my brother and I were probably, probably the early 80s, so preteen years, and uh, we were pretty excited. And by then, in our little house, um, we had graduated in bedrooms. Do you do that in your home? As the older siblings leave, you kind of move forward into the nicer room, okay? So the boys had now moved into the bigger bedroom, okay? And this bedroom, it shared a wall with my parents' bedroom. So just between our bedroom and my parents' bedroom was, I guess, two walls with a closet in between, Half-inch sheet of plywood on one side of each wall, twice over. So there was, let's just say, a, a shared wall between us and my parents. And it's about 4 o'clock in the morning, on Christmas morning. Now, my father was working second shift that week, okay? And what that means is you go in at 3, which means you leave at 2, and you go out and you leave at 11, which means you get home at midnight. And it had been the end of a week, and to those of you that have had jobs, we work an hourly job like that, a union-type job. Um, the holidays always provide a lot of overtime hours, okay? And it's time and a half, so you work it, right? That's how it goes. And I know this particular week, I remember 
part of the reason why we got the reaction we had is my father had spent many, many hours that week working overtime. So picture, my brother and I in one room, it's 4 a.m., we're awake, it's Christmas morning. My parents are in the bedroom right next door, my dad knocked out after several 16-hour shifts, and we decided we didn't want to wait any longer. We wanted to open up those gifts. We were excited, right? We were enthusiastic about what's down the hallway because you didn't go down the hallway. No, no way. Not till daddy told you you could. So we had to wake him up. So one of us, I'm not sure which one, I think it's the one that my parents always called the instigator, me, um, got the idea, let's wake him up. So this is what we did. Now, I do not recommend this, okay? You should not do this. Now, we climbed into our closet. Now, our room was not always kept clean, unlike yours, right? We climbed into the closet. Remember that the shared wall, okay? Now, we're inside the closet. So now, between me and my parents sleeping there, you know, nestled away in their warm blankets, is now just one wall, two by four, half-inch sheet of plywood, half-inch sheet of plywood. We climb into the closet, And we do the old one, two, three. Start banging on the wall. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Nothing happens. Okay, well, let's do it again. Boom, 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 boom. Hit the wall again. I can hear now. I can hear them in there rustling. We're going in there. So now we go crazy. Boom, 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 pounding on the wall. Hangers above us are shaking, okay? And now all of a sudden my dad comes tearing into the bedroom, all right? Me, I'm smart. I dive to the ground in the closet. Strange, there's a bunch of clothes on the floor of our closet. I don't know why. Nestled down in those. And my dad proceeds to yell at my brother. Oh, gave him the worst time you'd ever imagine. All I can imagine is he must have looked over at the bed, saw the pile of blankets and pillows, and thought, Mickey's asleep. It's that dirty, rotten Jason. So he just... I mean, deals with my brother like you'd never believe. So Jason sent to bed. Light goes off. I climb out of the closet. I'm like, ha! I'm laughing. Gotcha, didn't he? Gotcha! He didn't see me. And right then the light turns on. (laughs) My dad says, I see you now. You know, Christmas, it does create an anticipation. It creates an excitement, an expectation. And you know, as we said last week, there's almost sort of two versions of Christmas, you know? At least in America. There's kind of two versions, and I love them both. I really enjoy both of them. In many ways, I mean, the reality is you have sort of the secular version of Christmas, and it's a lot of fun, isn't it? I mean, you know, decorating the tree and, and putting up lights around your house and, and the giving of gifts. I mean, I, li- I, I love all that. It's fun to watch. That's sort of the secular version. And it's really easy to get excited about that. I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting excited about gifts and lights. And, you know, the movies that you watch once a year, you know, be it Elf or It's a Wonderful Life, or the Nativity Story. Yes, we are watching it again tonight, everybody. You know, so 
there's a secular version that we get excited about. But listen, as believers, as followers of Christ, there's the real Christmas. There's the real Christmas. And it's not so much about anticipating Jesus coming because he already came the first time. Okay? But it's about an excitement that he did come. It's about excitement that he has come and brought us victory. And that he will come again. That he is coming again. That's what this is about. Just like our God became a man and came on the earth. Really to lay down his life for us. He came as the lamb. He's coming again one day. And secular Christmas can't understand that. That's a crazy idea. That's a foolish idea. But we know that to be true. Today we're going to look in scripture at a man who was expecting the Christ. Anticipating his arrival. And excited to be part of what God was doing. Go with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. The man's name is Simeon. And we are on this sort of Christmas Eve Sunday morning. We're going to look at what was undoubtedly the climax of his life. We're going to see the greatest moment of his life. When he saw the fulfillment of what God had promised. He'd been anticipating this. He'd been expecting it. He was excited for it. And God in his grace allowed Simeon to see this moment. Luke chapter 2. You know, if you're looking for the Christmas narrative, you look one of three places really. Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1, and John chapter 1. Although it doesn't really talk about the birth of Jesus. It talks about the pre-incarnate Christ. But we've focused the last couple weeks... On the, on the geography of the Christmas narrative. And that's put us in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 repeatedly back and forth. We dealt with Bethlehem and saw the humble beginnings of really Jesus' entry into the world. As we looked at Mary and how humble all of that was. And then we went to Bethlehem. Personally, my belief is that Joseph was from Bethlehem. Had lived in Bethlehem. Prior to going to Nazareth, I think he was from Bethlehem. And we saw there that Bethlehem wraps up, really you find there the promises that God has made kept. Promises kept. Today we're going to look at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And this is about expected fulfillment. This is about that God is going to keep his word. And God is going to do exactly what he said. And he's going to come again to fulfill his plan. Now, the Christmas narrative is interesting, and I just want to take just a minute with our map up here and just talk about what, what happened in the events as we, as we came into the birth of Jesus. We're not going to take the time to read all of Luke 1 and Matthew 1, but we could. And you, you can see the events, but just follow through with me in your mind what happened. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary in Nazareth, shares with her God's plan. And then Mary leaves Nazareth and goes to Jerusalem, near Jerusalem, to live with her cousin, Elizabeth. John the Baptist is born near Jerusalem. An angel comes to Joseph, I believe, in Bethlehem, 
as described in Matthew chapter 1. Now, Joseph goes to Nazareth, back up to Nazareth in Matthew chapter 1, to be with his bride. And what do you know? Caesar Augustus calls for that census. Remember that? And so in Luke chapter 2, we have Jesus and his expecting, or I'm sorry, Joseph and his expectant wife going to Bethlehem looking for a place to stay. And there, Jesus is born. The angels come to the shepherds just outside of Bethlehem and share the news. And so the shepherds go to Bethlehem and find Jesus there in a manger. Now then, the narrative kind of pauses. And what happens is we, we now go eight days later when Jesus is circumcised and then given his name officially, Jesus. You can read about that in Luke chapter 2. So Jesus presented there in Jerusalem. And the, and the family establishes a home then in Bethlehem. Probably two years later, the Magi come to Bethlehem searching out this child. Jesus now is much older. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's a toddler in a home. And all of Jerusalem is upset. They're wondering what's going on. This whole caravan of of outsiders, of foreigners, has come to Jerusalem. There's this giant star that's been around for two years above them, signifying that something big is happening. And all in the scribes, they know God has promised that the Messiah will come through Bethlehem. And now Herod does a wicked thing. Kills all the children two years and under there in Bethlehem. Probably as many as 20, 30, maybe 50 little boys died there in Bethlehem. Small town, a lot of little toddlers though. The family escapes to Egypt just prior to that. Spend some time there. And then an angel comes and tells Joseph, go back to Nazareth. And that's where they set up home. Jesus, we see when he's 12 years old, travels with his family to Jerusalem, but then goes back to Nazareth where he stays for 30 years. We just walk through, really, the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Regular, everyday human. Because God became a man. It's the wonder of Christmas that the God of the universe became a man. And in Jesus, we have 100% God and 100% human. Where I want to focus today is shortly after the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, when Joseph and Mary travel to Jerusalem. So let's start reading, okay? Jump in with me. We're going to start reading now at verse number 21 of chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they were there to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, 
There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, master, really, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you are prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother, Jesus' father and mother, Joseph Mary, they marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Now the thing I like about Simeon is that there's anybody in the passage, in the Christmas narratives, that is most like us, I believe it's Simeon. Because he's waiting for this Christ to come. And he's anticipating all of his life, this moment that would come. He had a peace that was settled, that his relationship with God was sure. But yet he waited and was waiting for this moment. I understand Simeon so well. I don't understand Mary. I struggle to understand Joseph. I I cannot put myself in their shoes. But Simeon, I get. Because I live my life longing and waiting to see the fulfillment of what God has promised. Don't you? I live here on this planet... Surrounded by all the people that I do. And I see the need for the Christ. I see the need for the Messiah. I see all around me people who need him. And they don't even know it. And they're living without peace. They're living without forgiveness. They're living without life. And I'm walking around saying, he's coming you guys. He's coming. I suspect if I actually did that, if I ran around Walmart parking lot screaming, he's coming, they'd probably look at me like I'm a crazy man. A lot like they did Simeon. Who is this wild man? Who is this guy? Even Joseph and Mary marveled at what he said. Remember them? The angel came to them. The angel came and said, This is who your son will be. And yet, when they heard the words of Simeon, they were like, I don't know about all that. We should understand this character, Simeon. Because he's a lot like us. 
Let's look at it, okay? First of all, who is he, okay? Who is he? Well, you know, we don't know much about him, quite honestly. I mean, he shows up here in the middle of this passage, but all we really know in verse number 25 is that he was a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon. So we know from that, we can, we can gather from that that he was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. He was a Jewish man, okay? I don't believe he was a priest. I don't think he's serving there in a temple as a priest. I don't believe that. Number one, it doesn't identify him as a priest, but the Spirit of God directs him to come to the temple. So he's not already there. But he shows up at the temple, and look what it says about him. And this man was righteous. See that in verse number 25? This man was righteous and devout. Let's talk about that for just a minute, okay? Now, righteous doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that he always did what God told him to do. It doesn't mean that he was sinless. It doesn't mean that he knew the law of God and he lived it. Because you understand, if that's what it meant to be righteous, we would all fall short, right? I don't care how good you are. I don't care how self-disciplined you are. I don't care how powerful you are, how smart you are, how educated you are. You and I, and Simeon, are sinners, And James says, if you violate one part of the law, you violate it all. Wow. Now that's a standard, isn't it? Because see, the standard to be righteous is to be as righteous as God. That's what the word righteous means. It means to align with a standard. So when Simeon is called righteous, if that's in his own strength, that means he must align with the standard of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. Romans chapter 3. So how can it be true that Simeon is righteous? Remember what I told you. Simeon's a lot like us. You know, I stand before you today as a righteous man. Say, how arrogant of you. How prideful of you. Oh, listen. I can give you a list of sin, I mean, in the last 24 hours that will prove to you, I'm I'm not talking about my own strength. I'm talking about in Christ. He has robed us with his righteousness. So Simeon believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the same declaration made about Abraham. That's the same way anybody ever has ever been saved or made righteous, is believing God. Simeon believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you believe? Do you believe? Not do you believe in God. Do you believe God when he says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God? That no one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. This is what makes a person righteous. Simeon was righteous. Simeon was devout. Now that's a little different, okay? Devout means that he actually cared about God. He was was dedicated to the Lord. He was serious about pursuing intimacy with God. That's what that means. So Simeon was a believing man. 
He was a Christian, although that term hadn't really been coined yet. But he was a follower of Yahweh and trusting in God for his righteousness. And he was serious about that relationship with the Lord. Well, that's not all. It also says he was righteous, devout, and waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what on earth does that mean? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Let me help you understand what that means. Consolation means comfort, strength, encouragement. It means help. For Israel, this is God's people. So he is living on this world, in this, in this world that you and I live in, but he's waiting for God's help. God's going to come through I'm longing for God. Those that understand what this term means, Simeon was premillennial. Huh? It's okay. All right, it's kind of an inside joke for a few. He was longing for God to come and set up his kingdom. That's what that means. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So every morning he got up. Now listen, this, this could be you. Every morning he got up, Simeon rose from his, de- from his bed knowing he was forgiven in God. My sins are taken care of. I am forgiven. I don't have the baggage of the weight of sin. Secondly, I'm going to pursue him in intimacy. I'm going to be in his word. I'm going to memorize his word. I'm going to pray and talk to God because I can. I have relationship with him. I have intimacy with God. Thirdly, I'm looking forward to when God will return. Oh, I want him to come. He promised he'd come. He promised me he would come. He'd come like a lion. He's going to come and make everything wrong right. He's going to take the things that people do and say and believe that are opposed to God and make them right. The things that have been done wrong to me, God's going to make it right somehow. The things that I've done wrong to other people, God's going to make that right too. And he was waiting for that comfort. He was waiting for that consolation. I understand Simeon. I really do. I'm 47 years old. I'll be 48 next year. So I'm now old enough to say. See, it used to be people would say, well, you just wait. I'm old enough to say, There's some things about this world that just stink. Isn't there? Listen, there's some things about this world that are just great. But there's some things that stink. Young man this week I know, arrested. Read the newspaper. See see just, do you read the accounts of the arrest reports in Martinsburg? Watch the, turn on any television channel, any any movie, you're, you're just... You're just battered with anti-God thoughts. Oh, I'm waiting for the consolation of the believer. Just like Simeon. And that's not all. That's not all. He's waiting for the consolation, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we should talk about what that means too. I want you to know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Simeon is rolling around on the ground, It doesn't mean that he's barking like a dog. It doesn't mean that he's wholly laughing. It doesn't mean that he's speaking in another tongue. 
When it says that the Holy Spirit is upon him, you know what that means? He's connected with God. He's connected with God. Ephesians 5 calls it being filled with the Spirit. He's being influenced by the Lord. God's Spirit is connecting with his Spirit, affirming in his heart that he is a child of God, and bringing truth to his heart and to his mind and to his spirit about God. That's all it means. That's all it means. Now, something interesting happens to Simeon. That isn't probably going to happen to you or me. Okay? And remember, there's only one Simeon in the Bible, right? This is the only time this happened. So if you're living your Christian life, waiting for your Simeon moment, okay, you're probably never going to experience it. But let's see what does happen to Simeon. It says that he was, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, I don't know how this happened. I don't know whether Simeon, you know, opened up a scroll and read from Ephesians, I'm sorry, Isaiah, and was like moved like this. I don't know. I I can't answer that question. How did that happen? I don't know, but it did. It did. I think more important for us than how did Simeon hear this is to see what he heard. Look back at it with me again. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you know I used to work at McDonald's? That's not my question, but did you know that? Yeah. I've got an I've got a illustrious McDonald's career, okay? I won't go into it right now. I'll save it for another day. But imagine you and I go into McDonald's, all right? And we both order cheeseburgers, you and me both. Behind the counter is a person of questionable reputation, okay? They plop two cheeseburgers down. And they say to you, did you get the cheeseburger? And they say to me, did you get a cheeseburger? Tell me, what's the difference? How does the cheeseburger make all the difference in the world? How many of the cheeseburgers are there? One. The word the. I know it seems very small, But it's a big deal. If I come in and they say, did you get the cheeseburger I prepared for you? You're like, oh gosh, what did he do? What did she do? What has been done? Look what Simeon, look what the Spirit of God recorded for us. It says here, it's very important. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen The Lord's Christ. There's only one. There's only one, folks. There's not going to be another, and there never was another. There's only one. There's one Christ that the Lord will send. Tonight, when we gather for the candlelight service, we're going to talk about exactly what Christ means. It is very significant, though. That Simeon here, I, he understands this is it. There's only one. Now, we're now going to jump into this little like, really, it's a, it's a, it's a song 
that Simeon composed as the Spirit of God moved in his heart. And I want us to be moved equally by what he said. He came in his spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, if you're interested, that's in Leviticus chapter 12. You can read about it, where these exact events are described of what is to happen. The firstborn male son is to be brought to Jerusalem, dedicated to the Lord as a reminder that God had passed over Israel and saved the, the, the firstborn son of the Israelites who depended upon God. That's what's going on here. But then Simeon breaks out in song. And let's see what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. The first thing that Simeon understands here is that peace is finally found. Peace is finally found. Now, peace here, it's, it's written in Greek, but it's the, the, the Hebrew word is shalom. You've heard that, right? You've heard the word shalom. Did you know that that's in reality? That is where the word Jerusalem even comes from. Jerusalem is called the city of peace. It's where peace is found. Peace here. Simeon has finally found peace. Now, what does peace mean? It's hard to define peace because you've got to define about what it isn't. Okay? Peace is, peace is it's difficult for us to really work through a definition, but it's the, it's the absence of war, it's the, it's the absence of struggle, it's the absence of tragedy, of, of disruption, and the presence of tranquility. Is what it is. And here, Simeon says, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. You know what this means? I can die in peace. Because I've seen the Christ. Now, we need to understand where peace comes from. And where it doesn't come from. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 18 and 19. Just listen. 2 Peter 2. For speaking loud boast of folly, the world entices by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. This worldly thinking promises freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. I wanted to read that to you because everyone knows we need peace. And the world offers the sense of peace, but it's false. Simeon had the real thing, and so can you. Listen to Romans 5.1. Romans 5.1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, the peace that God wants you to have, this is so important. Please hear me right now. The peace that God wants you to have and people that you know is not a feeling. It's a fact. I'm not offering a feeling of peace here. I'm pointing you to the fact of peace. That if you are in Christ, it's not about a feeling of peace. It's about a fact of peace. 
Those who are justified in Christ have peace with God. Life ebbs and flows. That's the way it goes. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. But this kind of peace is a fact. It's not a feeling. You can have the fact of peace with God in the same way that Simeon did. He had this, he had this fact of a peace with God, and God granted him this blessing of seeing the Christ. And so before he died, he did have this sense of peace. But you can have the fact of peace. How? According to the word, verse number 29. 1 John five thirteen. I write you these things that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know that you have eternal life. Not feel, not hope, not wish, not long, but know. Peace is given by God. See where he goes. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Who's he talking to there? He's talking to God. This peace is given by God. Not by me, not by man, not by your parents, not by your siblings, not by your children. None of those things are going to produce. None of them are going to produce peace. You can't get enough money. You can't get enough power. You can't get enough prestige. It's not going to work. Everything around us, every, every, every vestige of opportunity that we see in the media over and over and over fails. Have you been struck by that of late like me? That those around us that, that show me on the television screen, on the movie screen, that they have everything. But yet, apparently, they don't have the peace I do. Not the fact of peace. Not the peace given by God. Not earned by man. Not manipulated by man. Not stolen by man. But given by By God. Mm. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. You see, you guys, peace is a gift of God. It's called here salvation. See it there? For eyes have seen your salvation. Salvation just means deliverance. It means to be rescued. It means to experience safety is what it means. Simeon is... He's now coming to understand what God is doing. See, here's what Simeon and others around him thought. They didn't fully understand what God had promised. Simeon and the rest of the Jewish people around him were, were, were waiting for God to send the Christ to bring about peace on the earth. And in their minds, That meant the conquering of enemies, the institution of justice, of a law system that was righteous. And all that sounds great. And quite honestly, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. But that is the peace that is given by God that will be manifested or or lived out by Jesus the lion. But before the lion could come, Jesus had to come as the lamb. And just like you can't get a cart in front of a horse, you can't get the lion in front of the lamb. 
Because if the lion comes without the lamb, the lion eats those he comes in the presence of. Do you see it? Do you see it? You see, the Christ, the Christ, came as a lamb. Died. Laid down his life. Given by God to allow there to be peace between man and God. That's this peace that's offered. That's the peace that everyone longs for. You say, I want peace with my neighbor. I want peace with other nations. I want peace. Listen, none of that happens. None of that happens without peace with God. You can't get the lion in front of the lamb. Simeon's getting that. Notice, look at his later words. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, look what he says here. This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. In other words, some are going to get it and some ain't. And for a sign that is opposed, Jesus, the Christ, will be opposed by most. In this very city of Jerusalem, on one week, they are singing the praises, Hosanna, the the son of David is here, and throwing down their coats and, and, and palm branches so he can walk on those and not touch the ground with his feet. And one week later, that same crowd is screaming, crucify him. He would be opposed Jesus himself, he said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm coming and I'm going to divide people. I'm going to divide people. Simeon understood that as the Spirit of God really spoke to his heart. He says to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Hmm. You know, she was there and watched him die. You know that? It's interesting. After Luke chapter 2, when we see Jesus in the temple, we don't see Joseph again. We have every reason to believe that he probably died. He was probably older than Mary. We don't know for sure. But according to the tradition and the custom of that day, he'd have been much older than Mary. He passed away. Sometime in the, next, in the first 30 years of Jesus' life, Joseph passes away. But Mary is there. She saw her son die. And yes, she loved him. Yes. Every mother loves her son, Right? She saw this happen, and her soul was pierced. And so was his side. Simeon here understands that the lamb's going to be slain. The lamb's going to give his life. Why? Why? Well, Simeon helps us understand it, and then we'll end with this. Verse 32. 31 says that you've been prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. What Simeon is speaking of here, what the Bible has been speaking about, honestly, since Genesis chapter 3, is that peace is available to all. Peace is available to all. Now, we see the word Gentile and Israel, and quite honestly, that doesn't mean much at all to us. Okay, in our American mindset, we don't really understand that. Some of us have been kicking around the Bible for a while. We understand what that means. But the reality is we don't really get that. 
Basically what that means is this. All people. All people. Jesus is not for a select few. He's not for those who happen to be here. He's not for the pretty or the smart or the rich or the poor. He's for all. He's, this peace with God is available for all. Simeon's understanding that. I want to understand that. See, I want to be, I, I really find Simeon to be the person I can most connect with. I want to understand that. But followers of God mess this up all the time. We mess this up all the time. We come into relationship with God, okay? And we're, and we're kind of euphoric and, oh, this is great for a little while. And then very shortly after that, we, we drift away from that same passion for God. And so what happens is we aren't really that concerned about other people finding this peace. It's not that we don't love people outside of Christ, because we do. If you know people or work with people or have family members who aren't in Jesus, you love them. You love them. It's not that we don't love other people who are outside of Christ. It's that we're not as, we're not as passionate about the peace that we found. We don't realize how much of a gift we've been given. And so we shrink back. We shrink back. And we don't point to Jesus. Not the infant in the manger. No. No. The living Savior. We don't point to him. We sang a song today. We sang several times, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Remember that? You know where that comes from? It wasn't that, you know, somebody just leaned on their keyboard and wrote holy, holy, holy over and over and over and over. No. Listen, that's the course of heaven. Go with me to Revelation chapter 4. Turn to the last book of your Bible. Here we see the song of heaven. I'm going to read several passages in Revelation 4 and 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, just follow along. Start in verse number 8 of chapter 4. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Verse 11. The continuing song, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Jump down now. Verse number 9 of chapter 5. And there's another song. It's called a new song here. And it goes like this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse number 12, they sing on, worthy is the lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is the Christ. Let us have peace today. If you look back to Simeon in the city of peace and understand what this is, what this moment represents, that we take that peace and celebrate it, know it comes from God and really be used of God to bring it to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, your life, Lord Jesus, that you came to earth to reconcile sinners like us, Lord, like Simeon. Father, we, we ask for your grace as we, we celebrate what you did, sending your son. And Lord, we, we know that the world around us, many of them are celebrating something else tomorrow. God, maybe celebrate who you are and what you have done and Lord, if you, if you open up the door, let us be willing to point to Jesus, the lion, the lamb. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.